1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: Democrats are putting it out because they suffered one of the greatest defeats in the history of politics in this country.
1: What the hell is that dude talking about? I don't understand this. His boss has come out and already drawn conclusions and said, I don't believe
0: them. If he's going to have any credibility as president, he needs to stop talking this way. He needs to stop denigrating the intelligence community. Get the facts. The facts are there about
2: Russian behavior. Hello and welcome to TrumpCast, the show about the man who never met a ruling family he didn't like, Donald of Arabia, better known as Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Before we get started today, I have an announcement. For the third edition of the TrumpCast Book Club, Philip Gurevich, Katie Royfe, and I are trying some Trump-related nonfiction. Our next book is Strangers in Their Own Land by Arlie Russell Hochschild. It's about a liberal trying to understand conservatives and particularly the white working-class Southerners who support you-know-who. It's really interesting. Get a copy and read it along with us. You've still got a few weeks before the show. And if you have suggestions for other books we should be reading to better understand the Trump era or guests we should have on the show, please share them with us. You can do it via Twitter, at RealTrumpCast, or on our Facebook page, which is also at RealTrumpCast. And while you're at it, Would you please leave a comment and review for the show on Apple Podcasts? I haven't asked you in a while, and it's a big help to us. On today's show, fake news on the left. Yes, that's right. You'd think the truth about Donald Trump would be bad enough. But conspiracy theories, fantasies, and just absurd falsehoods about the Trump-Russia connection are now flourishing on social networks. It's almost as if some liberals were trying to emulate the paranoid style of the far right. I'll be back to talk to Zach Beecham of Vox about the differences between left-wing fake news and right-wing fake news, right after these messages. My guest today is Zach Beecham. He's a senior writer at Vox. Zach, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be on, Jacob. So over the weekend, I read your piece in Vox about the left falling for fake news about Russia. And I sent you an email right away and said, please come on Monday, because I think this is a really important
1: emerging phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's bizarre to watch, right? You start off the Trump administration with the denunciation of the fake news that helped elect Trump from people on the left, you know, the sort of Facebook bubble. And then over the course of time as the administration goes on and the Russia conspiracy starts to look like an actual conspiracy, then you get real fake like classically fake news on the left, things that are made up but flatter people's biases and make them angry and make them feel better about the world. Which, weirdly, paradoxically, being angry can make people feel better about the world. That's a separate conversation.
2: It just seems like a mirror image of what we've been dealing with on the far right these past years and, and through the, uh, the Obama era and birtherism and everything else. I mean, it's you, I think you call it a fake news bubble for liberals, you know, and there are these stories. I mean, they fill my Twitter feed usually with just people retweeting them. But all these stories that Trump's about to be indicted, Pence is about to be re- indicted. Paul Ryan's about to be indicted. There are tapes of Trump cavorting with Russian prostitutes. And it's like you hope – you you know, I, I, get the,
1: I get the instinct to wish it's true, but it just obviously isn't. Right. And if you put even the littlest amount of scrutiny into fact-checking here, you would see that there would start to be some red flags raised about the people. So the sources of most of these stories are three people, right? There's Luis Mensch, who is a former British MP. There's John Schindler, who is a former NSA agent, who also a former professor at the Naval War College, who was fired for a really weird sexting scandal or resigned, technically. And then third, you have Claude Taylor, who, as best as I can tell, is a DC area photographer who hasn't had any role in any government since 1998. So if those people were to have exceptional sources and be able to break news that no one at the New York Times or the Washington Post or ProPublica or anyone else with a lot of investigative resources could break, like it would be striking. It would be incredible. It would be one of the greatest journalistic stories of, I don't know, the past 60 years. And – Except that's not what's happening. Over and over again, the things that they say turn out to be wrong or at least impossible to prove. And there are a small number of things that are true, but you could detect the difference if you put the littlest amount of work, the bare minimum, into figuring out what was going on. And people just don't.
2: So, well, let's talk about Louise Mensch first, because she seems to be very much at the heart of this. And I should say, we've invited her on the show in the past, but she hasn't been too receptive. We haven't gotten her to come on. I'd still like to have her come on. But I mean, she has the most credibility, because as you say, she was a member of parliament. She was a conservative member of parliament. She does not necessarily identified with the left in terms of her own political uh, background. But she does... I mean, she got one big scoop, right, which was that the FBI had a warrant to intercept the communications between the Trump organization and these Russian banks, and she
1: doesn't come totally out of left field. right? Like, she did get that right, and she got that well before the mainstream media caught up. That was legitimately impressive. And so she parlayed that into quite a following. She got herself an op-ed in The New York Times that helped boost her own credibility And she seems like she should be on the surface of it, as you say, quite credible. But if you go through her history in the UK, you find that she has a long, long pattern of making some strange claims uh, and saying some strange things. And it just doesn't always show. Uh, my favorite example of a weird Louis Mensch quote that's not relevant to Russia but illustrates her broader mindset is that she said that she would mute anyone on Twitter who used the word Zionist as it was a code word for anti-Semite. And then when someone asked her, would you mute Theodore Herzl? She said, yeah, if he used Zionist, it's a code word for anti-Semite. And <laughs> you realize that this is all performative. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't know who Theodore Herzl is, and doesn't have much of a stake in the argument, right? She's just saying something that furthers her point of view.
2: Although she's kind of right about that. I mean, people who go on about Zionists on Twitter on social media is this pretty pretty good overlap with anti Semites.
1: True, uh, true. Unless you're, you're actually Theodore Herzl, father of modern Zionism. <laughs> but, but I mean, I this is what
2: this is what's frustrating about her, right? Is that there's some mixture of actual in sourced information of some kind i mean obviously she doesn't conform to any sort of journalistic standards that that we would apply but she's not does not seem to be just making stuff up or just it doesn't seem to be just making everything up but then there's a side of her that just seems very wacky
1: yeah it's the making everything up part that you said that's the key bit she doesn't make literally everything up But she does make up a lot of things or just say things that come to mind. So for instance, she said that Russia was funding the protests in Ferguson for some reason that I can't figure out, right? That's – I don't know where that comes from, right? I assume – there's no way that that's true in any meaningful sense. So it's probably made up. But – you know, Sometimes there are some people it seems like in the intelligence world who talk to her, a very small number of people, but they don't have the knowledge to power all of the scoops that she says she has. So the small nugget of true information ends up in her mind getting extrapolated into these much broader, bigger scoops and claims. Like for instance, her claim that uh, Representative Jason Chaffetz was, uh, uh, was being blackmailed by the Russians, that, that they had compromised. On him, right, and that's just—it's very hard to believe, and it's impossible to believe given what we know about Chaffetz in public and what mainstream reporters are capable of doing.
2: Right, I mean, part of the what is effective about conspiracy th- theorizing is that you can never disprove it. Right. Because you can't you can't prove a negative. You can't prove that the Russians don't have compromise on Jason Chaffetz, even right. though even though it's something that uh, people would uh, people would pay a lot not to see. But, um, you know, there's, even though there's no reason to believe it, but then, you know, it just evolves and you're on to the you're on to the next crazy theory that's really hard to disprove.
1: Right. Yeah. It's someone who I was talking with about this analogized it the way her practice what these people do. Uh, To a little bit like, you know, baseball, right? So a good baseball player is batting about 300, right? A great one anyway. Uh, She's probably at 0.025, but her followers don't pick up on the other parts of it because unlike in baseball, you know when somebody strikes out in baseball, right? It's clear. But it's not clear when Menchus is striking out because she could just say, well, this hasn't happened yet and very rare or as you said, it's very rare that – Something that she said ends up getting disproven. So that 0.025 of correct hits of, of you know, actual legitimate scoops ends up being to her followers and the people who like to believe what she says, proof that she has better sources than anyone else in the world. She does have
2: these – like a few hundred thousand followers on, on Twitter. Can we call her followers the Mensheviks? Is that, has that been used yet?
1: No, but I think we can go with it given her russian obsession
2: it seems yeah. uh, it seems seems appropriate but they are a, a bit of a
1: digital troll army
2: right i mean did they have they come after you since you went after her
1: not nearly as much as i expected them to i think cuz she hasn't tweeted at me when i asked her for comment uh on the piece she said no and then called me a dickhead on twitter that's a literal quote um <laughs> And then her followers went after her. went after me because she quote tweeted me. But I haven't seen her mention the story yet. I've been looking because I've been really curious to see what her reaction would be. So it's not just Louise Mensch. I mean,
2: as you mentioned, there's there's this thing, the Palmer Report, and there's this photographer, the guy Claude Taylor. How do how do the other other centers of this Russia sphere relate to her, and what's the whole what does the whole ecosystem look like? Does it
1: originate in one place and get amplified in another, or or what's your what's your reading of it? So there's a sort of triangular thing with Taylor, the photographer, Schindler, uh, the NSA professor, and Mensch. The three of them amplify each other and give each other credibility and knowledge. So Mensch isn't a Russia expert, but Schindler did work on Russia and wrote about Russia. So uh, he will provide her with the type of terms that you're supposed to use if you're familiar with the intelligence world or familiar with the way that Russian intelligence services work. Taylor is constantly claiming to have sources that are telling him new things. And then it seems like Mensch parlays those claims from Taylor into pieces. And so the three of them will tweet at each other all the time and will amplify each other and say, this is a really – this is a smart point. You have to pay attention to this or just generally try to signal to each other's followers that these are credible people you should listen to. And it ends up becoming a kind of insular info bubble that thinks that if you're inside of this world, you know anyone else is to be distrusted. These are the three people who know what they're talking about.
2: So is Schindler the intelligent source that the other two refer to because he was in intelligence?
1: You know, that's possible. He doesn't tend to make as wild claims as Taylor and especially Mensch do. Um, he tends to be a little bit more measured in his tone and his tweets and on his blog. Though still, he can be a little extreme. He once claimed that Ayn Rand was a secret Russian agent designed to delegitimize uh, American conservatism way back in like 1925 when she came to the U.S.
2: What's fascinating, Zach, one of the things about this is that it's so much like John Bircherism in the 50s, where, you know, the the paranoia was at such heights about everybody being a secret communist. I mean, the Birchers went well beyond Joe McCarthy, and they would circulate these pamphlets about how Dwight Eisenhower was actually a communist agent. And, you know, in this, as the world gets more and more paranoid, you know, in that in that world, you couldn't be right-wing enough that you wouldn't be— suspected if you fit into somebody's conspiracy vision. And this is sort of theirs. I mean, Ayn Rand is a great example. The icon of the right it was, secretly, uh, was secretly a communist.
1: That's right. It's not about ideology with them so much. You know, They like to point out that some of them are conservatives by background, like Mensch, and some of them are liberals, like Taylor, and that they're unified in their concern for Russia or concern about Russia as they would describe it. But in the way I would describe it is they're united in a sense that the world is best explained by conspiracy and secret maneuvering. And that mindset, that sense of omnipresent Russian influence is what creates a unified uh, information chamber sort of where, where people share the same set of ideas and instincts. Now, their followers tend to be disproportionately Democrats. Huh. Well, I mean, do
2: you think this is the sort of mirror of the fake news on the right? And where does it fit on the continuum? I mean, on the on the right, you know, you have a range from Fox, which doesn't usually do fake news, that is fraudulent news, although it certainly provides a home for it and an echo chamber for it to Breitbart to Infowars, which is the Alex Jones thing. I mean, you know, where is this the same? And where does it fit on in that continuum?
1: I would say the closest analog would be InfoWars. It's not quite as – it's weird to say a conspiracy theory is not quite as conspiratorial as another conspiracy theory. But we don't really get into things like the Illuminati secretly manipulating the US government or like a logo is a plot uh, that shows the true understanding of our reptile man masters, lizard men. Sorry, I used the wrong term. They prefer lizard men. But – it, it's it's a little more like something between Breitbart and InfoWars I would say because it, it's a little more grounded in the way that Breitbart is in actual concrete political events. But its tone is very much secret information that only we have says this thing that you want to believe that makes your world make sense and your instincts and your anger make sense is true. That That's classic InfoWars.
2: Although I guess i I would um argue, Zach, that there's a big distinction between how the left has treated these people and how the right has treated the sort of infowars types. I mean, you've got a couple examples of your piece of of democratic politicians and so on picking little bits of menschism up and amplifying it. But there's not a lot of it. You don't you know, she's not got a platform on msNBC, whereas Fox News. You know, right now is going on and on about this Seth Rich story, which is a crazy conspiracy as bad as anything in Louise Mensch and actually, you know, particularly cruel because it's it's uh, about this this young man who was murdered in in Washington, D.C. And it's it's really abusive of his family. But there's no equivalent of Fox News on the left giving a platform to these people.
1: Yeah, it's hard not to be angry when you think about the Seth Rich case. Uh, it's really infuriating. Um, and it's good that these claims aren't being picked up in the liberal media in the same way. And I think that you're right about that. It's just, There are a lot of people on the left and in liberal journalism who have said no to these people and said we should ignore them. One reaction I've gotten to my piece that I didn't anticipate but perhaps should have is, is conservatives saying this proves that – you know, they're the same, that there's an equivalence between the left and the right when it comes to conspiracy theorizing. And while it's true that there's nothing about the psychology of liberals that prevents them from succumbing to conservative thinking, the actual structure of the sort of center left and center right in the United States are vastly different, particularly when it comes to how information is consumed, produced, and distributed. And standards are just objectively much higher on the left. Like there's no question about that. You don't have – MSNBC going to the same informational gutters as Fox News does in the way that you just described it. So you had really early on I think a lot of lefties and liberals speaking out against these people. And You most often get uh, a few people you know, occasionally tweeting a story from one of these sources but then apologizing for it. It's not something that you can assume will go away. Like liberals really have to be vigilant about this. But it, it's still a much better response than what you saw from Republicans when birtherism first started.
2: It's really on Twitter this flourishes most of all. I mean, is this primarily a phenomenon
1: of Twitter? Yeah, Twitter and Facebook, I would say. Core information gets produced on Twitter. That's where Mensch, and Schindler and Taylor are always talking to each other. But some of Mensch's stuff has been shared on her blog, Petrobotics, which I encourage you to read. It's super weird. She writes an open letter to Vladimir Putin about how Edward Snowden was trying to discredit Hillary Clinton. It's very strange.
2: What, is, what does that name mean, Petrobotics? I don't get it.
1: I was wondering. I was wondering. <laughs> that. I was researching the piece. If it's Louise Mensch ever
2: comes on the show, she can explain. But
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask her, but I'm a dickhead. Um, so some of its stuff has gotten over 50,000 shares on Facebook. Palmer Report, which basically aggregates claims from mention and other people that are equally bizarre. Uh, Palmer Report has gotten over 50,000 shares in some of its pieces too, or around 50,000 if I recall correctly. And it routinely gets in the tens of thousands. And Facebook is, for those of you who don't spend all your day online or in the media, the primary source of traffic for a lot of major news sites – and so, if these things are really spreading on Facebook, that's a sign that they have some heft that there really are some people who are buying into them because I didn't want to amplify a phenomenon that didn't exist. I think this is real and it's troubling, but it's just in its very early stages right so what
2: what would you advise people about sort of information hygiene ar- around all of this? I mean, liberals don't want to emulate the worst practices of the right but what's the what's the thing to do? Do you just at this point? tune out and ignore Louise Mensch and these others? Or is it is there more required? Do you need to be constantly exposing them and distancing yourself from them?
1: I think it depends on who you are. If you're just an average news consumer, then you should ignore them. And if one of your friends shares their stuff, tell your friend self-interested that I would say, show them my article. But you can also just tell them that most trusted authorities think that they're kind of absurd. If you're an elite in the Democratic Party or in the liberal media or in the entertainment sphere, then your obligations are much higher. You really should be telling people that – They can't trust these things, that information comes from reliable sources, that their wildest theories about Donald Trump might not be true, that while there's a lot of shady things surrounding the Trump administration, not every conspiracy theory is going to be true. And, and you really have to do work to prevent this kind of thing from emerging and becoming normalized and routinized inside liberal establishment centers. Perhaps maybe the, tr- the most troubling thing that I didn't put in the piece was that you've seen a few Hollywood types, people with huge megaphones uh, sharing the stuff on social media. And they're just less likely to be deeply informed about what is and isn't a reliable source because they don't spend all day in the political and journalism world. And so that's a, that's a sort of worrying venue for this stuff to come out. So you need all different kinds of liberal elites condemning them. When I asked professors who study misinformation, they say people listen to what elites who they trust say. So a politician that you like, a Bernie Sanders, say, or uh, a media figure that you like, a Rachel Maddow, say, for for liberals. I mean, if those people are saying you shouldn't listen to them and you should really be careful about what information you consume and here's what the real facts are, then people will be better off. And then ultimately, we won't have a replay of birtherism on the left.
2: Yeah. And you know what I think is important too, Zach, is is to not excuse it as entertainment. I think people on the right often make this defense that, oh, you know, whether it's, whether it's Rush Limbaugh or, or Infowars or, or any of these sources that eh, they don't necessarily believe it, but they enjoy it because it expresses their sort of political fantasy. And that's really dangerous when you create a separate category of things that are okay because they're, they're in a gray zone of entertainment. You're not holding them to the same s- standard of scrutiny.
1: Yeah, I mean, you might think that as a very well-informed conservative elite, this person that you're talking about, but ordinary people don't consume talk shows that way. They consume them as sources of truth, as things that validate the worldview and tell them how to think because that's where they get their news from. And so one of the reasons that the right has declined so much intellectually in the past you know, 30 or 40 years, at least in terms of the quality of thinking that was going into the positions. It's because the task of idea generation and of popularizing ideas have fallen to a bunch of people who are willing to cater to the worst instincts of people who are on their side. Your Rush Limbaughs and your Breitbarts and your Fox Newses. Roger Ailes is probably the late Roger Ailes is probably the master of taking weird, extreme, angry, bigoted ideas and turning them into an information product that people like and identify with, right? So Ailes perfected that and it became a huge, huge problem for conservative politicians who wanted to be sober-minded, thoughtful policymakers. It was hard for them to deal with the fervor of their base. And you're not seeing an equivalent phenomenon on the left, not because liberals aren't susceptible to angry thinking, but because there isn't a left media ecosystem that's willing to fill the same role. I've been speaking to Zach
2: Beecham. He's a senior writer at Vox. Zach, thanks for joining me on the show.
1: Oh, thank you, Jacob.
2: That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jordan Bell, sitting in for Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. June Thomas is managing producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. And we were helped by Dan Bloom in the engineering studio today. Thank you, Dan. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.